Okay, hello everybody. Welcome into this episode of In Session. Um, this is a latter week episode, so now the fun begins. I'm not exactly sure which week it is, but I have two people who would know. That would be Kelsey Luce. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm I'm just sitting here. How about you, Danielle E. Gaines? How are you? Hi, Colin. I'm doing great. That's great. Great. Great is better than good. <laughs> so a lot of things happened this week. Um, it's post-crossover day. I love this that uh, you noted that in the notes. It is post-crossover day. So there must be so much to talk about. Kelsey, we're going to start with you. Um, and the house bills um, that sort of happened uh, throughout this week. Yeah, Danielle and I took a look at uh, the bills, the local bills that made it through to the other the other uh, chamber before crossover day. So some of the ones I looked at in the house include one from Delegate Karen Lewis Young about biosafety reporting. And I haven't really had a chance to uh, report much on this one. So let me just kind of catch you up. What it would do is require biosafety level three laboratories to report annually to the Maryland Department of Health. So those are the laboratories that have dangerous diseases like, um, oh, I don't know, I think like hantavirus, uh, uh, pretty sure tuberculosis is in there too. So basically it would create a system where they would have to report in. And the idea behind that requirement is that if there's an emergency at one of these facilities, like a fire or something, emergency responders need to know what they're dealing with. Because right now private labs don't really have to report any of this. So that one made it through the House into the Senate. And another one is the sunblock bill, which we have talked about. Good old sunblock yes. bill. Um, so that would just let students put on sunscreen if they want to without a doctor's note. And another one, which I think we got to on the show, but just to catch people up, if they're a first-time listener, is the uh, spoof calls bill from Delegate Kathy Afzali. So that, uh-huh. yeah, you remember that one. So that would prohibit people from using uh devices to disguise where they're calling from like when you get a telemarketer call or something like that uh delegate carol Krim, another uh democratic member of our delegation uh has two bills that made it through to the senate one was the phased retirement which i'm pretty sure we've discussed that would uh make it so people can take a prorated amount of their benefits while working part-time at state agencies And the idea there is to have people pass on their institutional knowledge. And then the the bill to require state agencies to set aside time and space for nursing mothers to pump breast milk made it through to the Senate. Uh, Oh, there's a third one. I forgot. I'm going down the list. There's a third one from Delegate Krim. Um, This is the Rural Internet Task Force. This is... um, a procedural bill that basically just gives that task force, which is responsible for studying uh, internet, broadband, and wireless availability in rural areas, it gives them another year to complete their work. Um, well, it through to June 1st. And um, I think that, that covers the house ones. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot. That was a lot. Now, Danielle, of course... I have to talk to you about the Senate and what happened there. What happened also on Monday? What happened? Yeah. Give us an so, um, you know, there's a record number of bills being considered in Annapolis this year. So 
Kelsey and I just have to divide it up, <laughs> divide and conquer. Um, so I took a look at some of the delegation bills, how they fared. So obviously we've talked in this podcast before about that, the fact that the county ethics reform bill moved forward, a bill that would clarify um, membership to the Monocacy Scenic River Board also moved forward. On the Senate side of things last week, uh, Senator Huff got a couple of bills passed that would um, allow somebody who is applying for a handgun permit to get like essentially a pre-approval. So the state requires you to do a lot of um, um, safety classes and things that cost money in order to get a concealed carry handgun permit. Um, right now you have to do them before you get the permit. Senator Huff's bill would kind of let, let the background check and things run so you could get a pre-approval first and then pay all the money for the classes. His Beagle bill, which we talked about a lot, um, passed, but it's a much uh, more watered-down version. He says it's his Beagle bill without the teeth, or all bark, no bite. Um <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, essentially, it's it's his version of the bill, which would um, have it would uh, ask state laboratories to prioritize adopting out animals once they're done with research, but it doesn't have an enforcement requirement or a fine or a reporting requirement anymore, which he would have liked to see all of those still in there. He did, even after the committee, you know, amended his bill and and took out the bite, um, he did still support the bill because he thinks that um, any effort to kind of encourage adoption of those animals is a good thing. Um, And then Senator Young, you know, he spearheads the liquor bills for us every year in Annapolis. He is the chairman of the alcohol subcommittee in the Senate. Um, And so he got quite a few passed. And of course, one of them is the Shochu bill, which we all are a fan of. Um, Yes. (laughs) Colin especially. And then on on Monday, which is actual crossover day, um, there were a few bills that passed kind of... uh, as the clock ticked down. So one of them is Delegate Karen Lewis Young's Wage History Bill. We've talked a lot about that um, last year and this year. It's a bill that essentially um, narrows the circumstances under which an employer could ask you about your wage history. The idea there being that um, lower wages for women and minorities wouldn't be perpetuated if they weren't getting job offers based on what they've previously made, but rather what the employer can afford. Senator Huff had a quote-unquote safe neighborhoods bill. It's basically a bill that allows for expedited evictions in cases where um, a tenant poses imminent danger to themselves or another landlord. This was a little bit controversial. It passed in a very close vote in the Senate, 26-21, and that's because some senators feared that the bill would allow for um, discrimination of various kinds. Um, the last one that we can talk about is, uh, really interesting. It's a bill from Delegate, uh, Bill Folden, and it would create a fund in the Department of Natural Resources for them to buy land to construct and maintain trails for the use of off-road vehicles. So there's this campground in Western Maryland in Garrett County where you can, like, take your Jeep and drive it over obstacles and stuff. It's pretty neat. Um, And his bill would create a dedicated fund to build more things like that in the state of Maryland. We need that for Priuses. (laughs) Sure. Off-road Priuses. Can you go over a speed bump? Uh, (laughs) 
I don't think so. I, I just, I can't understand for the life of me why, again, we go another year without the left lane bill mm-hmm. moving forward. Some things have their moment and then it fades. And, you know, last year was the year for the left lane bill, I guess, you know, it's not going to happen. I can't live like this. <laughs> I just can't. Um, so I'm very angry about that. We'll get off of that and we'll go over to something more serious, which is opioids. Um, and while uh, some bills did not pass, Kelsey, from what I understand, some may still have a future. Yeah, there were two very interesting ideas by our local delegation to, well, uh, by our local delegates. These weren't delegation bills, let me be clear, um, to address the opioid problem. And uh, one of them actually by um, by delegate William Bill Folden will will not go forward because what he wanted he already got. So his proposal, and it's worth mentioning that Folden is a police officer himself. His proposal would have allowed emergency responders to carry four milligram doses of naloxone, the opioid antidote, um, because currently police can carry that dosage, but protocols don't allow uh, you know um, EMS firefighters or anything like that to carry more than a two milligram syringe. Um, So he proposed a bill that would have allowed them to carry the larger doses, which uh, he said was important in light of more fatal, more fatal opiates like fentanyl coming into play. Uh, But it turns out that in response to this emergency medical services system changed their policy on March 9th. So they just went ahead and said, hey, EMS, you can carry these larger doses of antidote. And um, that'll officially become part of their protocols in July, but uh, the policy was made effective March 9th. Um, So the other one is from Delegate Karen Lewis-Young, and that was her bill to require doctors to have conversations with patients about the risks of opioids before prescribing them. So I think we touched on what happened in the Senate with this bill. Um, it was heavily amended and became very, very different. Uh, in Karen Lewis's young opinion, it's very watered down. Um, the The amended version just has doctors advise rather than discuss the issues, and it doesn't it doesn't prescribe what must be discussed, like her version of the bill did. So she's hoping that still has a future, either by tacking her um, goals onto an opioid package or um, supporting the Senate version as it is is another option she'll explore. And uh, so we'll see what happens with that one. That's interesting. Opioids is never, it's never going to go away. Mm -hmm. It's going to be something we're going to be talking about until the end of time, it appears. And it's, it's very, uh, it's interesting to follow. We move from opioids to budgets. Um, Danielle, from what I understand, the state budget will have somewhat of an impact on the county budget, and we'll get to that in a second. Mm -hmm. But um, the Senate passed the budget last week. What did the House do this week? Yeah, so we talked about the Senate passing the budget last week, and in in the broadest of strokes, the House budget is not that much different. So um, they both hover in the area of $44.5 billion, and there are some different... Billion. Billion. There are some differences. So um, 
today kind of the procedural things happened where you know the house asked the senate to agree with their budget the senate refused and said let's have a conference committee so there's this group of lawmakers that are going to get together and iron out kind of the line item differences that they have between the two different budgets the vote in that house was interesting um yesterday because there were a series of amendments proposed by republican lawmakers um and they involved um, you know, tax reform, wanting to see more of the money from tax reform coming back to um, state taxpayers. They involved a little bit, um, Kelsey, I think we'll talk about in a minute, um, about taking money, uh, you know, away from the attorney general's office and steering that towards school safety. Um, but in the end, you know, after all of the kind of uh, part of party line votes on various amendments, uh, the the bill itself passed 125 to 12, and um, the House Minority Leader stood up and said that he thought it was a good budget, <laughs> and that he was going to vote for it. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Of course, of course, of course. Um, so. The county budget, Kelsey, from what I understand, there's some news there. If you could tell us a little bit about what's happening with that. Yeah, so last Thursday, uh, Frederick County Budget Director Rick Harkum and County Executive Jan Gardner presented in very broad strokes um, the county budget. Uh, there weren't many details available at all, and part of that is because the the budget folks are all waiting to see what happens federally with um, taxes because it's hard to make a budget if you don't know what kind of revenue you're going to get. Uh, so some of the highlights I'll just go through. There's a lot of numbers here, so let me just kind of go through some bullet point highlights. Um, so uh, Rick Harkum and and uh, Ken Executive Gardner noted that 83% of the county's budget is mandated, so they really only leave some 70 17% to work with in discretionary spending. Um, Gardner said that uh, the school system will need to accommodate 800 new students, and that's going to have to increase the education budget by about $5 million. Uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting and that I took a little bit of a closer look at is the request for operational staff. Um, so Frederick County agencies have asked for more than 100 new positions to be funded in the budget. But uh, I got Ken Executive Gardner on the phone to ask uh, about that. And, you know, that's a nice wish list. But given her priority of uh, giving better salaries to the people that are already working there, she doesn't imagine that she'll be able to fund a whole lot of those. So we'll see what happens with that. And of course, education's a big part of it. Uh, Frederick County Public Schools is in the third year of a four-year transition to a new teacher salary scale. Um, so that kind of is going to take a big chunk of the budget as well. Um, so one of the largest staffing requests was uh, $3.9 million to add staff at volunteer fire companies, so paid staff for the volunteer fire companies. They're looking to fill up to 40 positions. So those were kind of the um, the eagle eye broad strokes that, that we got on Thursday night. And then from what I understand too, uh, Danielle, uh, this goes to you, there was some big county news in the federal budget, and I believe this has something to do with Fort Detrick? Yeah, so uh, the federal budget, again, that was $1.3 trillion. 
Um, trillion. Trillion. That is um, something, again, where we just heard uh, President Donald Trump say just a few minutes ago that uh, he was going to sign the bill, but he didn't agree with it. <laughs> and he doesn't want another bill like that again to come to his desk. But um, we do, for the first time, have a fairly long-term bipartisan funding agreement to keep the government open until the end of this fiscal year, September. And one of the big, big things in there locally is that it includes funding to fully fund and keep fully operational the um, NBAC laboratory at Fort Detrick. And this is a laboratory that works uh, very closely with the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They test for all sorts of... Um, uh, scary weapon things, <laughs> chemical weapons. <laughs> very, um, and, that was very technical. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, in, in federal criminal investigations. So uh, it's a laboratory that was created after the anthrax scares. And it had been zeroed out uh, for funding, actually, in President Trump's first budget proposal for this fiscal year. Um, the, there was a lot of people from, you know, the um, scientific community and the law enforcement community that did not want to see that laboratory close. And so there was a bit of a rallying cry and they ended up getting, I think, a $44 million line item budget. And they're going to be able to stay open as a result of that. Um, there were also other good things for the state of Maryland very generally in the budget, you know, an increase for NIH. Um, the funding for the Chesapeake Bay was also restored. Um, to keep that beautiful, there's money for uh, WMATA, the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority, and um, a little bit of language, uh, this is outside of our immediate coverage area, but a big priority in Prince George's County has been to get the new FBI um, campus located there. The Trump administration has indicated that they'd like to rebuild the FBI headquarters at the current location. Um, and this budget includes language that says uh, the administration's proposal to keep the location where it is in Washington, D.C. Um, will not be accepted until they provide a rationale behind their decision. So that's kind of a bit of a wait and see, but a big project for our neighbors to the south. Hmm. Um, something that, that's on everybody's mind this week uh, is school safety, especially this week. And, and Kelsey... From what I understand, the school safety bill would increase funding and standardized training in Maryland. That was the headline from a story you wrote earlier this week. Can you talk a little about that? Sure, sure. Yeah, school safety is a huge issue now. Um, as we record this tomorrow, this is the March for Our Lives, the big national march to end gun violence and call for gun control. So so this certainly is a timely bill uh, that went before the House Ways and Means Committee Thursday. Uh, so... What it does is is what you say. It would uh, basically dramatically expand funding for the Maryland Center for School Safety, and it would um, position them as a centralized, uh, how do I want to put it, like a centralized training point for school resource officers. Um, so some of the some of the concerns that. Well, let me preface by saying uh, in the committee, the bill got a lot of support. Everyone was like, you know, we need to do something about safety. Uh, I'm behind this in theory. But the issue comes down to the deta details, as it usually does. So one of the things that um, certain delegates on the committee had concerns about was um, 
if the bill becomes law, local school districts will have to create a behavioral threat assessment team. So that, that those folks would um, kind of guide staff and faculty to recognize people who might pose a risk to the school. And so some delegates like uh, Alonzo T. Washington, who's from Prince George's, and uh, Janelle Wilkins, who's from Montgomery County, they expressed concerns about uh, bias, you know, would this target minority students, would this, you know, target a specific population of students. Um, so they just kind of cautioned that as we, as the state considers rolling this out, that we bear that in mind. And uh, another point brought up by several of the committee members was um, the importance of the mental health aspect. So there were some concerns that would this uh, team, would having a team like this in place create more contact between people with mental health problems and law enforcement when it might be more appropriate to refer them to, to um, medical care, like therapists. Um, so those are some of the issues that came up. And in terms of the, uh, the numbers here, so it would, uh, it would increase the, um, the Maryland Center for School Safety's fund. This bill would increase the Maryland Center for School Safety's funding from 500000 all the way to $3 million starting in 2020. So they're going to have a lot more responsibility if this passes, and they're also going to have a lot more money to to do what they need to do well we all need more money <laughs> we can all agree on that uh it's time for the best part of the frederick news post every week we uh we need to cue the music <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, political notes. Kelsey, I do believe that you had uh, something to say about the top. And, and the, amid the budget debate this week, why, tell me, oh, why did Eyes in Annapolis turn briefly toward Washington? Yeah, so this was, um, this was just an interesting thing that was part of the budget discussion that I thought we could get on the record here. So um, the as Danielle was talking about, the, the budget always sees lots of amendments and, you know, some of them know that there's not really a chance that they're going to get passed, but they're more of a statement. And I, I think that this amendment was certainly a statement. I hope I'm not uh, wrong in my assessment. But so the Senate Minority Leader, J.B. Jennings, who's a Republican from Harford County, he uh, proposed an amendment that would have cut a 2.2 million special fund um, set aside for the attorney general to uh, to pursue lawsuits against the Trump administration, and it would have replaced it with $1 million, uh, that would go to the organized crime unit. And this was definitely a partisan issue. Uh, 13 Republicans voted for it and not a single Democrat. Our Frederick County, our Frederick County Senator Michael Huff voted for it, so I checked in with him and kind of asked what he thought about it. And he kind of had a similar response to, as Jennings did, he just said, well, the money's better spent on or the organized crime unit rather than pursuing these lawsuits. Um, and just for some background, if if uh, if there's any listeners that haven't been, been following the lawsuits, so a, a Attorney General, Maryland Attorney General Brian Frosch has become involved with several lawsuits against the Trump administration. And the the most noteworthy one has to do with the uh, 
the allegation that Trump may have violated the emoluments clause of the Constitution. So it kind of brings you up to speed there. Oh, political maneuvering. That's why we do this podcast. Yeah. That's why we do this podcast. And that's, uh, just uh, to add on a little bit, um, that's that's a newfound power for uh, the Attorney General in Maryland. We talked about this um, during the podcast last year, where Maryland was one of kind of a small number of states where the Attorney General didn't have the authority to act on his own to sue the federal government. So Attorney General Brian Frosch, friend of the pod, we talked about this on an episode, uh, I don't know, like a half year back. Um, yeah. Or sorry, a friend of the Uncut podcast. You can go back and listen oh, to that. <laughs> but yes, um, the Uncut podcast. He talked a lot about this power, and once he got it last year, he's certainly been exercising it um, to to not a great reception from Republicans. <laughs> well, speaking of great receptions, <laughs> gerrymandering, I do, I, from what I understand, I do believe is going to be the subject of a very special upcoming episode. Danielle, tell us a little bit about gerrymandering and what we've got going on. Well, um, as we've talked about on this podcast, uh, it's Maryland's day in court on Wednesday, um, I guess, depending on no matter where you fall on the issue. Um, the Supreme Court will be hearing uh, the gerrymandering claim against the state um, on Wednesday, and um, we've got a seat. We'll be in the courtroom. Uh, we'll have some reporting out of there, and um Colin and I are going to, and Graham are going to try to do a special podcast edition with maybe some color from the courtroom, some of what's happening there, and <laughs> and some of what people might be able to expect, you know, kind of the final countdown to see how the Supreme Court is going to decide on all of these partisan gerrymandering claims that have been coming its way in recent months. You said you've got a seat. How much did you have to pay for the seat? I did not have to pay, you know, but I'm Starbucks? really, really excited to have a seat oh. in the court. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's very very exciting. Okay, so I have to ask you both: What did you eat, Kelsey? What did you eat this week? Uh, I'm sure I had something good. Um, uh, you didn't eat all week. No, no. Time. Today, I, okay. Today I had instant ramen, but it was a good. It was a. It was a good instant ramen. So, <laughs> a true reporter. Yeah. A true reporter. Danielle, what did you have? Um, I had a. Uh, Mexican mocha latte that was phenomenal. Yes. Whoa. It wakes me right up. That sounds. A little bit of chili pepper in your imagine. latte. Hey. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. I don't know about that. Oh, it's so That'd good. That'd be a very so painful good. day for me. So, all right, guys. Kelsey Luce, Danielle E. Gaines, we really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we're running out of time. Not too many weeks left. We're looking forward to it. And we look forward to catching up next week. Yeah, see you then. Thanks, Colin.